Good morning. Good to see you all. You know, the early, uh, earliest Christians uh, met in homes, and, and they met in the synagogues, <clears throat> the Jewish synagogues, on Sunday. They weren't being used. If you follow the calendar there. Jews would worship at the synagogue on Saturday, Sabbath. <clears throat> and um, as far as we know, uh, the early Christians were trying to figure out, well, what should be our posture? What should be our, you know, should we kneel? You know, the Jews weren't big into kneeling or, or uh, any kind of posturing for their faith. And the Christians thought, well, probably the best posture to symbolize the resurrection is to stand. To stand up. That's the best posture to symbolize the resurrection. And that began this great tradition of standing and sitting <laughs> in, in churches ever since then. So in honor of the resurrection, would you stand with me? I want to read some scriptures. I'm not going to cite the scriptures because sometimes that deflects from the attention given to the word. But I just want to read some scriptures. And I'm going to pause after each one and let you reflect on, on the word of God. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Come see the place where they laid him. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told and on the third day be raised again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would live deep in our souls today. The story of your life, new life in Jesus, our resurrection. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. The body of a man. Whatever else the resurrection is about, it's about the body of Jesus Christ. It's about the gentle hands of Jesus, the most gentle hands the world has ever known, the hands that touch the eyes of the blind, the hands that would touch the blind man, the hands that held the head of a woman as she was bowed low and broken because of her sinfulness. And Jesus uttered those words to her, neither do I condemn you, those gentle, loving hands. The resurrection story is about that man who embodied God in physical appearance, Jesus. The resurrection is about those calloused feet that carried him from town to town to share the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Those beautiful feet that carried him to spread the good news to the poor, release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. Those feet that were washed by the woman with her tears, those feet that perfume was poured upon. The story of the resurrection is about those feet and those hands that were tied, and they were tired. Jesus, God with real human hands, real human feet, Jesus, all the rest of him in bodily form, completely God, completely man, 100% God and 100% man, full of human and godly emotion, full of human and godly abilities to feel pain, full of compassion and truth and grace. In a mock trial, when his accusers could find nothing wrong with him, yet they condemned him, the resurrection story is about those hands and the feet and the body of Jesus tied to the cross And they drove those spikes into his hands, into his feet. And then they did something that they should not have done. And if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. But they lifted him up. They lifted him up on the cross. Do you hear that? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert that all people would look upon the snake on the pole, and be made well. They lifted up Jesus. And if the crucifixion wasn't enough, they took him, they buried him in a borrowed tomb, they sealed it with a stone, and Friday turned to Saturday. 
the day of rest, ironically, the day of rest. And he laid there, lifeless, under the sheet. And all of creation is wondering, what's going to happen? This is a moment of tension. And then Saturday became Sunday. How appropriate. The first day of the week. The first day. The beginning. Something new is going to happen in the morning of the first day of the week. And God made those dead bones return to form. And you got to believe that Jesus did a little dance. as he was like, whoa, what just happened? This is new. And just as Ezekiel saw those dry bones dance, that God put flesh and made those bones come to life again, you just got to believe that Jesus moved around a little bit and like tried it all out. Like, wow, this is awesome. And that body came out of the tomb, and that body appeared to faithful followers and friends, and the body came out and offered the message of new life. Something brand new has happened here. It's never, never happened before. Something great has happened. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you will have abundant life, new life, poured into you. So we gather every Sunday, we gather every time we worship, and we celebrate this resurrection. And it's rooted in reality. This is not a myth. This is not some folklore. This is not a legend. You could have touched the body. If you were alive 2,000 years ago, you could have touched the body You could have touched those hands. You could have touched those feet. You could have touched the cross. You could have got a splinter from the cross, and and you would have seen the blood, and you would have felt the body dead when it was taken down from the cross. This was real. This is not some religious, mythical figure in, in our books. This really happened, and that's important that it really happened, that this is a new thing. Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, who had a husband, Joseph. And it's not only that story, but somehow this story of resurrection has been translated and delivered generation to generation to the other side of the earth in Kentucky that now we participate here today and we celebrate this resurrection. It's amazing that Jesus walked out of the tomb and offered eternal life for everyone who believed in him. And that body is alive today. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he is walking in this place, offering abundant life and new creation to all who believe in him. And I really want to study this part this morning. Because what we're talking about here is something new. It's something great. It's something that started everything over again. It's so ironic that our calendar, our years, are even based on this as a new beginning. I don't know how that all worked out. Some of you know way more than I do about how the time works. But why did it start then? Why did our years start right back then in the the Gregorian calendar? What happened? Why was this on the first day of the week? What's going on here? And more importantly... What is being set in motion here? And so we look at something that John talks about, 
And I never really thought about this before, but John, as he wrote his gospel, begins his gospel with three words. In the beginning. And you think to yourself, well, why would John start his gospel with those three words? In the beginning. Where else have we heard those words? <laughs> it's the beginning of the Bible. It's the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God spoke a word and things happened. And there is a new creation that John is revealing to us in his gospel when he talks about in the beginning was the word. Because you need word to speak something into being. God's medium for creation was to speak it into creation. Now, this is really important to our faith, that the word was spoken. And now John is saying, wait a minute, Jesus was the word. Jesus was the creative medium that allowed everything to exist. And so we think about the creation. We also have this beautiful scene in John chapter 20 where Jesus comes out of the tomb and he's having this conversation with a woman and he says, woman, why are you crying? And the woman says, well, thinking he was the gardener, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And you start thinking to yourself, well, what? that's weird. Why did she think he was a gardener? What does a gardener do that would make you think he's a gardener? I mean, I wouldn't think that Dr. Reitz, if I was leaving church today, I wouldn't assume, oh, are you the gardener? No, he'd have to be doing something gardening. Well, where else do we read about a garden? That there is a Genesis garden, and in the beginning, in the creation, there's Adam, and what is Adam charged to do? Take care of the garden. Isn't this weird that John portrays Jesus as this, quote, second Adam? And it's the Word of God telling us that this is a new creation. Something is happening here because of the resurrection. Something brand new and glorious and awesome is happening. And so John begins his gospel with, in the beginning. John is taking us back to the beginning, back to the garden. It's the beginning of the week. It's a new creation story. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 which is the resurrection chapter. He, Paul didn't use chapters, but he wrote all about the resurrection and the theology of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. We don't have time this morning to unpack every sentence of 1 Corinthians 15, but part of it reads about Jesus being called the second Adam. So if you look up 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 45, Paul writes in describing the theology of the resurrection, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. So the first Adam is created as dust, from dust. 
<clears throat> the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. <clears throat> so Paul declares that Jesus is the second Adam. <clears throat> However, verse 46, <clears throat> excuse me, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He was the man of, as, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So what's happening as a result of the resurrection, there is a new creation. This is a new creation story. And you have to start thinking about, well, what was the first creation story about? And what was the purpose of it? Was it just to describe how God created the world? Well, what was the purpose of the creation story? Why is it even in the Bible? Why do we need to know how things were created? Does, that, does it prove anything? Does it solve anything? But the Genesis creation story actually serves many purposes. It tells of God's marvelous work in order of creation. In fact, the one thing you can gain from the creation story is that if you see it, God made it. Turn to someone and say, if you see it, God made it. Everything you see. Now, the rest of the world is just a, a more, a more irony here. About the time that Genesis was written and collected and put together as a writing, earliest known writing is somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 B.C., so we believe that the creation story is put together, probably collected by Moses. You know the great theological debate. Some of you know it if you went to Asbury or, or hang around Asbury very long. Well, but I'll tell you what the, the great debate is that, you know, who wrote, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Well, we would believe that Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Well, how did he write about his own death? Well, that's a good question. So we have all these debates in Bible study about who collected all this. So the, if, if you look at the the right side of the debate, the conservative side of the deb debate would kind of say, Moses wrote the Bible one evening after dinner. The complete liberal left side of the debate would say that thousands of secretaries and workers put together, uh, there were priestly sources, Yahweh sources, all kinds of different sources that collected the Bible, J. E, Elohim sources, D, P sources, and they all collected the Bible together, and it was just thousands of different input of people over the thousands of years, and now we have the Bible. So it's kind of like, right, Moses wrote it one night after dinner. Thousands of people wrote it, and we're, it's, it's all crazy. We don't know what, what happened. So where do we stand? Well, we're probably to the right. We don't necessarily believe Moses wrote it one night after dinner, but we believe that Moses wrote 
the first five books of the Bible, specifically. And he collected it and wrote it down. So why is this important? Well, one of the reasons it's important is that around that time that it was collected, if you look around Israel, 3000 B.C., there are many different cultures with their gods. And they have gods like, as you know, the Egyptian gods, the gods of Isis and Osiris and Horus, the falcon god, and Re, the sun god. And my favorite god is Bastet, who's the cat god. No. No. You know, I had a weird dream last night that UK won a football game. That was a crazy dream. Maybe Florida or something. Anyway. They were Hittite gods in another part of the world, through Mesopotamian world, who had gods over the weather, gods over the storms, gods of, over the sun, moon, stars, animal gods. The Hittite gods had thousands of gods. There were Sumerian gods that worshipped the air and wind and, and intellect and magic and divination and all kinds of god, gods in the Sumerian. There were Babylonian gods with the primary god Marduk, who was kind of the god of all gods in the Babylonian religion, and he had 50 different roles of being the chief god. And there was a Syrian god. Anyway, you get my point. Surrounding Israel were all these different cultures with all these different gods. So now when you read our creation story, you realize that on day one, God created light and darkness. You're like, oh, well that actually defeats all the Sumerian gods at the time by telling them that our God made your God. And then you go to day two and you realize that the firmament and the division of the waters, well, that just so happens to defeat all the Hittite gods because they believed in different levels of waters and creations and firmament and so on and so forth. Well, our God made all that. So why are you worshiping all of your gods when our God made all that? Our God created all that. Then you get to day three when dry land and seas are created. Well, that takes care of all the Babylonian gods. Day four, the sun and the moon and the stars are created. Well, that takes care of almost all the other religions had gods of sun, moon, stars, and all those gods. And then you had day five, fish and the birds were created. Well, that took care of most Egyptian gods who had animal gods and bird gods. Our God created all the fish and all the birds. So why are you worshiping those things? Then you have... Day six, where animals and man, human beings, are created. Well, so you can't worship animals and human beings. Well, that takes care of all the Egyptian, Hittite, Babylonian, and all the Assyrian. All the gods in the first six days of creation, all of the gods are defeated by basically saying, our God made your God. You see, you see what's happening here? Now, we actually believe that that wasn't just the point of the creation story. So, well, it just so happens, 
you have day, six, day seven where God creates anti-work. This is my favorite day of creation. Because he worked really hard the first six days. He worked. Then he rested as a blessing to say, look what I've done. I think God needed a day to kind of look around and go, wow, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> look at all I've made. I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to enjoy that. And by the way, the Sabbath day of creation is nowhere in any other religion. No other religion at that time or since has had a day where you're just created to rest and the God rested. None of the other gods ever rested. Isn't that amazing? It is so unique. It's so beautiful to our creation story. So you say, well, why is all this important? And what does this have to do with the resurrection? The resurrection is important because there's a new creation going on here. And so you start to think to yourself, well, in that resurrection story, God's other, all other gods are defeated. So what is Jesus dealing with? Well, guess what? In Jesus' day, in the Greco-Roman world, there's all kinds of gods. In Greece, we're going to get to Paul in a minute, where he's actually in Athens at the Areopagus, <laughs> looking at all the gods around. But at this time, there's Babylonian, Assyrian, Egyptian gods, sky gods, earth gods. So in Jesus' day, you can go through all the pantheons of the ancient Near East, and not one of those gods are supernatural. They're all, all the gods are regional, natural world phenomena that our God created. So this is really important. There's Zeus. You have Kronos, the god of time. You have Apollo, god of the heavens. You have Gaia, god of the earth. Erebus, evening. Humeri, god of the day. You have Eros, the god of passion. You have Zeus, who's the chief thunder god. Zeus was god of the atmosphere, god of the wind and the clouds, and god of the rain and the thunder and the lightning. Zeus Nobody could defeat Zeus. But not one of these ancient gods ever transcends biblical creation. So the testimony of the resurrection that was based on eyewitness accounts kind of funnels all down at that time to Paul being in Athens. So turn there, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, Greece, standing, walking around the Areopagus, which housed all of the known gods of the day. And Paul is preaching to the people who were all the intellectuals. And you've got to think about this. This is the, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. These are smart people. 
Go to verse 30. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. This is Paul talking to us about the fact that this is a new creation. And this new creation, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, is what, we will, what God will use to be the judgment. He says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Proof is that he raised him from the dead. So in this new creation, all of these gods have been defeated. All of them. Paul says that God's assurance to the world is that Jesus is going to judge everybody. And that he is alive. And he calls people to repent. And it says when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, it says right after that, some of them mocked. Ha! More Jewish myths. More Jewish God stuff. They're mocking Paul like a talking donkey. <laughs> remember the story? Talking donkey. Oh, remember the story of the sea splitting in half? Right, right, Paul. The sea splitting in half. All of Israel marching through. Jonah in the whale. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, Paul. Yeah, walking on water. Sure, Paul. Hilarious. But it says, interestingly enough, but some people said, hmm, we want to hear you more on this subject. What subject? The resurrection. So as this is the new creation, we start to wonder, getting back to Mark, getting back to John, when Jesus in resurrected form started to continue to talk about the new kingdom. There's a kingdom, and I'm the king of the kingdom, and all things are made new. And guess what? You can be born again. Hmm. I can be created again. How does that work? How can we be born twice? How can we have been born of the dust, of natural Adam? But how do we get to participate again in the new creation? This is the power of resurrection. This is what the resurrection is about. It's about a new creation. That Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God with his resurrection he, in a way, Jesus, is born again. And we participate in that resurrection when we are born again. Paul, or Jesus tried to explain this to Nicodemus. This is why it's so hard. 
I think it was hard for Nicodemus to get it because he hadn't seen the resurrection yet. But he did, didn't he? He got it. I think he got it. I'm just flashing back now to John and Mark talking about the, the men on the road to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize Jesus. Jesus was hard to recognize in resurrected form. Why? Because he's a new creation. He didn't look the same. He was a new creation. He'd gone through a new creation. And he comes up to the man walking on the road to Emmaus, and man, Billy, I, <laughs> I don't know. Talk about a foundations manual. Like, Jesus just shared from all the Old Testament scriptures. I, I just think Jesus probably talked about Psalm 53, I mean, I mean, Isaiah 53, and I think Jesus talked about Psalm 22, and how in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, There's talk about crucifixion a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. How how does that work? I think think Jesus is talking about Micah and the virgin birth and how, how it all works. And I think Jesus is sharing with these guys how the resurrection means that all things have become new. Everything's new. There's a new creation here. Now, all of this about the resurrection funnels into Colossians chapter 1. So turn there with me. Colossians chapter 1. This is, my opinion, one of Paul's pinnacle moments of receiving revelation from Jesus. Because he's explaining everything I just talked about, about new creation here. And he's explaining who is Jesus Christ. Post-resurrection, who is Jesus Christ and what do we get to be involved in here? Colossians chapter 1, I'll start with verse 13. Think about this in in the realm of the fact that this is a new creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This is new. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, resurrected Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Jesus is the word that John talked about. Jesus is the way that everything is created. It was through, by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. (laughs) If you see it, Jesus made it. If you see it, Jesus made it. If you don't see it, Jesus made it. (laughs) Because it's invisible. In fact, I'll go on here. Whether thrones, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So even in the realm of what we would know, call 
just the powers of the earth. Those were also created by Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. This is, this is so mind-boggling. This is just crazy. This is awesome. How awesome Jesus is. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Think of the creative stuff. I think science calls it uh, surd, surdness. It's just the stuff. When you say that something is absurd, you're saying it's kind of nonsense. It's absurd. But the word surd, I need a doctor to help me with this, some, some sci- scientist. I think it means just the stuff of creation. That Jesus is in the substance of everything you see. Every molecule, every atom. If Jesus stopped loving for just a nanosecond, everything would fly apart. (laughs) He's the glue that holds everything together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's our brain. He's our sense. Everything is within the head. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. It's a new creation. This is all new. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Everything has preeminence. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. So as we participate in the new creation, as we are born again, guess what we get to face in our world today? Same thing. Zeus, Osiris, Eros, all the gods of today. There's all kinds of gods today. Time. Time is a god. Bless you. Pastor, I'll I'll give money to the church, but don't ask me for my time. That's a God. Or, Pastor, I'll give my time to the church, but don't ask me for my money. (laughs) That's a God. Time, money, things, cars. Fame is a God today. Sports is a God today. Oh, that's a hard one. Entertainment adrenaline is a God today. Thrilling experiences is a God today. Food, politics, nationalism, crazy weird nationalism can become a God. We could go on. There are all kinds of gods. But when we say, no, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and I've been born again into this kingdom into this new kingdom, I have participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ by being born again. And I have new life. And when you're born again into the kingdom, you have different values. And you realize that Jesus Christ holds all things together. So that's why Jesus, in post-resurrected form, 
All he did while he, his, his few days on earth after his resurrection was talk about his kingdom, the teaching of the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. You've got to be in my kingdom. You've got to be in my family. It's about new creation. And if we are in a new creation, we're in a new world. And the new world is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king. And Jesus' resurrection births the kingdom, the church, the new creation. So therefore, we participate with Jesus as we birth the church, as we grow the church, as we invite people into this realm. It's a new creation. It's a new world. Jesus is the kingdom. We bring Jesus now to, to the world where we go to defeat the gods of this world because Jesus in all things has supremacy. Jesus purposes the kingdom. We purpose the kingdom. We're here on purpose. You're here on purpose. This is not a mistake. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Every time Christians come together, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus declares the kingdom. We declare the kingdom in his name. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. We demonstrate the kingdom by living by kingdom values. And our values are that we love one another. And we bless one another, and we serve one another, and we give to one another. This isn't some PTA club. This is a new creation club. Jesus deploys the kingdom. He deploys the kingdom through us, through his spirit. So we go, we go out these doors, and we bring the kingdom of God. To Jessamine County, we bring the kingdom wherever we go. You're a representative of the kingdom. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. You're representing Jesus everywhere you go. Jesus transforms the kingdom. We transform the kingdom. Jesus purchases the kingdom. How did he purchase the kingdom? By laying down his life. So we lay down our lives. As a church, we lay down our lives for each other. We demonstrate, not to make some show of it, we do it because we love Jesus, because that's what he did. So we lay down our lives. Jesus concludes all of history, all of Revelation is about the kingdom of God that's coming. It's all funneling down into Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, where Jesus gets married and his bride comes down from heaven. And there's a voice from the throne and the voice says, now, now, I finally get what I want. That God gets to be with us. That's it. The, the message of this book funnels into Revelation 21, verse 3. And it says, God wants to be with you. He wants to live with you. Live life with you eternally, and be your God. That's the resurrection. And Jesus will return. And he'll return in glory. And he will come for his bride because he wants to be with her, his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus that Jesus, you brought good news to us that the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, thank you. Thank you that the kingdom of God 
is open and that you are desiring more and more people to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, to be born into the kingdom. Lord, help us. Help us if we have not done that, to step out of the kingdom of darkness, to step out of the kingdom of death, and into the kingdom of light and life and love, that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. That we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we would repent of selfish ways. Lord, that we would commit our hearts, our minds, our lives to you, Jesus, our King, Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for rising from the dead and letting us participate in your resurrection as new creatures with you. In your name, Jesus, amen.